ladies and gentlemen, Cardinal fans of all ages, welcome to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. I'm Chris Grace. I'll be your host, joined every week by current Wesleyan Athletic Director and former head football coach, Mike Whalen. Each week, Coach and I will interview some of your favorite former Cardinals and find out exactly what they've been up to. Without further ado, it's time to check in with the coach, Mike Whalen. Coach, we've got another guest tonight. We've got a guest that has got some experience in what we're trying to do here. We've got a guy who is producing some high-level podcasts, but before he became a podcasting producer who was nominated for a Peabody Award, he was the National Lacrosse Defenseman of the Year, class of 2009, Terrence Spike Malangone. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, he uh, graduated right before I got here, but uh, you know, when 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 I arrived, you know, he was a name that uh, you know a lot of our coaches threw around. Not just you know Coach Raven, our lacrosse coaches, but you know a lot of the coaches in our department. And and uh, you know, I'm really excited to uh, spend some time with him. I haven't had the opportunity to meet him in person. Just have heard so many incredible stories about him. Just as a as not just a great player, but you know, a, a, a great role model, a great a great leader. Uh, and, and certainly someone I know Coach Reba feels, uh, you know, really cemented the legacy of, of the Wesleyan lacrosse program and enabled them to, uh, to continue to build towards that national championship in 2018. So really excited to catch up with Spike tonight. Yeah, we can't wait to catch up with Spike, find out all the cool things that he's been up to since leaving Middletown. But before we do that, we got to check in with our man, Mike O'Brien. Tell us how we can stay connected with Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. You can stay connected with the podcast by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Wes underscore athletics and on Facebook at Wesleyan.athletics. We're also on Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe and give us a review. Or if you'd like to contact us directly, you can email athletics at Wesleyan.edu. You heard it from the man. You don't want to miss out. We want you to check out all of our former episodes as well. Coach and I have talked to some of the best uh Wesleyan has to offer. I and mean, we're talking about the president of the Chicago Cubs. We're talking about senior vice president of the ESPN, former NFL head coaches. We're talking about commissioners of major athletic conferences. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Check them out. There's tons of great episodes. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you like and what you don't like. If you don't like me, let me know at Chris Grace 82 on Twitter. If you don't like Michael Bryant, don't say anything because I'll come to get you. But for and- now, it's time to check in with tonight's guest, class of 2009, is Terrence Spike Malangone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. As always, joined by the coach, Mike Whalen, the producer, Mike O'Brien. He's not going to say anything, but he's going to think a lot of things. And our guest tonight, class of 2009, three-time All-American National Defenseman of the Year, former Wesleyan lacrosse star, Terrence Spike Malangone is joining us. Spike so happy to have you on our podcast. Guys, first of all, huge fans of the show. So the pleasure is all on this side of the Zoom. Um, genuinely have l- appreciated listening to some of the grads and the alums to see all the good stuff they're up to. And you guys have been have been doing a great job with this. So Mike, Chris, and producer Mike, can't forget you. Uh, awesome job on this. It's, uh, it's great to be here. So, you know, Spike, first of all, we appreciate the compliments. And you know that just by being on this show, um, you're probably going to get tens if not 20s of more people listening to your current content because we give a bump that no one has ever seen before (laughs) i've I've heard about this bump and i'm very much looking forward to it i mean super bowl (laughs) Bowl champions 
Um, we turn general managers into presidents of the Chicago Cubs. I mean, we do big things here. Um, but before we get to what you're doing now, we got to bring it back a little bit, which we always like to do. We got to talk about Middletown. We got to talk about Wesleyan. I want to know how you ended up becoming a Cardinal. Uh, yeah, it was actually um, it was a pretty easy one for me. So my older brother, Paul, uh, who was class of 05, shout out to Paul, uh, honorable mention HM in 05. Um, he was at Wesleyan and graduated in 2005. And I got to know a lot of the guys on the lacrosse program. And, you know, during the recruiting process, I was a little bit kind of under the radar. I went to like a big high school on Long Island that was, you know, pretty big lacrosse powerhouse, but I was getting kind of those kind of like minor D one kind of looks and roles. And I wanted to go to school to get an education and to play lacrosse. I kind of knew lacrosse wasn't necessarily going to be like the professional thing I was doing for the rest of my life. So I was really valuing kind of an education and a really good lacrosse program. And with Paul there and with all the the guys in his class that I got to know and some of the younger guys, it kind of came organically and it felt like a natural fit. And I did want to do something different than him uh, kind of right away. But as I got to know more about the school and more about um, the program, it, it felt like uh, joining like the band that is really cool, but no one knows about yet with the lacrosse program in like 2005, they had just started to kind of make noise in the national level. So it kind of felt like the perfect time to, to join. And I couldn't, couldn't have been more happy with how I ended up at school. That's it. That's such an awesome point. It's like when you're, when you're picking your soccer team, right? Like I'm a Liverpool fan, but I started supporting Liverpool in 2005. And I said, that better not have been like a two years ago kind of thing. No, it was in 2005. (laughs) And, and, and I'm also a Jets and a Mets fan. Right. So, Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I never, I never support <laughs> winners. And then once they win, I feel guilty when they win. Right. So yep. like, I can't, so I, I told, I totally follow where you're coming with this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was, so you're uh, saying you didn't want to go to Hofstra. So instead you went to Wesley. And his <laughs> yeah. That's, that's more or less pretty accurate. Yeah. No, um, no, I was, look, I was getting some good looks, but I, I was really excited for the, the opportunities that Wesley and, uh, was providing. So. And, and coach Reba, uh, you know, with his, 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 ties to long island i mean he's done a ton of recruiting down there more than any nescac school he's 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 really and even to this day now we still have several kids on the roster from from uh, long island he, mm-hmm. he um he goes there and and uh but obviously uh you know i think um you know his 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 recruiting and and the you know just tell us about kind of you know how you know you know obviously with your brother there was a natural connection but you know obviously there's a there's a point where in the recruiting process you have to figure out, you know, Hey, is this the right guy I want to play for? Is this the guy that I feel I can, you know, is going to get me to be my full potential. You know, talk to us a little about, about coach Reba and the impact on, you know, that he had on, on the decision. Yeah. Coach, coach Reba's, I mean, I hate to say he's the whole reason I went to Wesleyan, but if there's 10 reasons, he's probably nine of them. Um, you know, just the, like getting to know him through Paul, but also just through, you know, honestly, this is going to sound crazy, but through my mom, you know, like Coach Raber really valued the families and not just the athletes. And I thought that was really important. And I think that you could see that in the success of the team, even today, you know, it's a family program and that is huge for me. And, you know, you always, you want to like kind of caution people looking at schools, don't go there for the coach because the coach might not be there. But I think Coach Raber is one of the exceptions to that trend. And he, he definitely was the one of the big reasons that I went to the school just to the way he runs the program, he does everything the right way, but also doesn't sweat the small stuff a lot. So we had, we were able to have some fun in between the seriousness and that balance. I think that he brought was kind of emblematic of the school's balance between academics and athletics. And I think 
you know, I don't want to, I hope he listens to this because I I hope my checks in the mail. I think I hit all the talking points that he sent me, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, but coach, I love coach Ray, but to this day, we're still, you know, in email communication all the time and we follow the program a lot. So I I couldn't have, couldn't say more nice things about him. And he's truly one of the reasons I went to there, went to school. So, so on the lacrosse front, um, what is your number one, moment from your lacrosse career at Wesleyan what is the one thing when you think about man if I could just go back to this one moment it would be that the one Saturday one the one locker room post-game situation what is that moment because I know there's always one there's probably more than one yeah I was gonna say it's gonna be hard to narrow it down we had a lot I I really loved my time with the with the program One, I know I'm tempted to say all the good stuff that we did. You know, we won the NESCAC in 09, which is the first time the program had done it. And we made a lot of deep runs into the national tournament. And there's a cliche answer about like, oh, it's all the friends you make, which is also true. But for me as a competitor, I go back to the games we lost. Honestly, that's kind of where my head goes. Even to this day, I can't enjoy stuff knowing it. We had a little bit more on the table. So the first thing that comes to my mind depressingly when you said, oh, you know, you have go back to one moment, it'd be my freshman year, we lost in overtime in the national semifinals and we thoroughly dominated the game and probably should have won, but coughed up a lot of opportunities. So that's where I kind of go back to is the game we lost in the final four not any of the success we had. That's as a competitor, you always kind of feel like you remember the ones you lost more than the ones you won. So sadly that's where my head goes, but I did have a, just my best friends to this day. I know you guys had field Yates on the program and, he talked about our group chats and zooms, we're all still in communication. So I don't, I don't know if there's one moment I'd go back to. It's just the friendships that we made along the way is, is truly kind of the answer I would give you. And, and, you know, my conversation spike with, with uh, coach Rabo, you know, I, I was saying like, you know, it's really, you know, really not unusual, but it's, 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 it's very challenging for, you know, uh, uh, someone, you know, in, in, in New England region to be the national player of the year. Like that, that's not easy to do. And, you know, part of that, a lot of that has to do with, you know, the fact that like Salisbury and, you know, those places are, you know, you know, perennial powers. And coach Reba said, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. He said, because he goes, I think it was Spike's junior year. We were down South playing somewhere and we weren't playing Salisbury, but Salisbury coach was there because they were playing the game after us. And he watched our game. And after the game, he came up to Coach Reba and he said, you were the best player in the country that he's seen. And, wow. and, and Coach Reba was like, holy cow. Like, like, you know, again, you know, here's a guy that's won, you know, you know, he's 10, 12, whatever it was. I mean, at that time, maybe he's won six or seven national titles. Sure. But, but yeah. he was clearly one of the most accomplished coaches in the country in Division Three. And mm-hmm. here he is saying, hey, that's the best player in the country. And, and, and John said – when, when, when that happened, like, he was like, wow, like, you know, and, and, you know, he, it even kind of took him by a little surprise like, sure. yeah, to, yeah. Hear, yeah. to hear someone say that. So, you know, I think that, you know, kind of when, when that, you know, that opportunity came to, you know, to put you up for that kind of award and then to have someone, you know, down South in the Salisbury, you know, you know, coaching staff say, Hey, like this guy is a guy, like he sure. is the guy. I mean, I think that's uh, that carries a lot of weight. So I, I wanted to pass that story along to you. I appreciate that story. I'll have to, I'll have to send him his check. We're going to just be sending each other money for the talking points. <laughs> um, no, but I, I don't know if I knew that story. That's interesting. But I, I do think like there's a, you know, we're kind of patented to the zone defense in, in the D3 landscape world. And as cliche as it sounds, I look at 
I'm honored for all the, you know, awards and accolades or whatever, but I look at them as team awards, truly like that. We ran a team concept of a, a defense and we ran team. Everything was through a unit of six guys on defense at the same time. So it's, it's an honor to hear that. Uh, I had never heard that before. I don't think, but um, you know, the fact that we were in games that were meaningful that coach Berkman down at Salisbury would want to watch is because of the team success. So I, I take that. I acknowledge that it's a great, uh, a great compliment, but I really, I kind of look at those awards, especially as you get further away from graduation as, as team awards. And I kind of wear those with pride as, as kind of a representative of the group that we had there in my time. So Spike talk about, you know, just being, you know, someone who plays D in lacrosse, unlike any other sport, you are probably the only sport where you play a position where you cannot really contribute offensively. I mean, for the most part, I mean, a, a hockey defenseman, we were just talking about Brian Leach before. He could have 85 points in a season. And I'll do a whole podcast about Brian Leach if you want. I'm, I'm, I mean, we I'm just talked about – we just talked to Brian. <laughs> you know, by the way, last week's podcast, people, don't forget to check it out. We talked to Brian Leach's high school coach, so don't miss oh, out on that. But, that. you know, but but I, I know you're a Rangers guy. Um, Big time. But, but my point is you're basically playing a position where – it's completely selfless. The only time people are going to point you out is when you screw up. You're either going to, you're either going to get a penalty or you're going to be responsible for a goal. So what's that like when you lie? It's almost like being a kicker. Like no one's ever going to talk about the good things. They're going to talk about, well, you missed that kick. Only the bad stuff. I mean, obviously you were, sure. great. you were national defenseman of the year, you know, but, but talk about the pressures that come with, you know, playing a position where you get no glory and you're, you're kind of just, you know, you're, like I said, you're responsible for all the bad and you really don't get credit for any of the good when, when things aren't going right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the nature of a defenseman or a defender in any sport, right? Like you're, you're not going to get the glory of all the, uh, the offensive stuff, but I mean, lacrosse, you can contribute a little bit offensively. I think my teammates would be the first to tell you I was like the worst shooter in NESCAC <laughs> history. Um, you know, for whatever reason I would get near the goal and just like decide to throw like change ups and stuff. It was like a knuckleballer. It was pathetic. Um, so I hope that they are acknowledging that if they're listening to this. Uh but yeah, it's I always liked the the art of kind of flying under the radar a little bit and I didn't need like the personal glory of a personal goal or whatever. For me, it was always how can I make my teammate better? How can I get the ball back to the other group so they can do their job too? So yeah, it's uh I don't know. I just liked stopping goals. It was always when we were growing up, I had, you know, five siblings and my brothers would be playing, um, you know, street hockey all the time. And I was goalie, you know, and soccer, I played goalie. Like I just enjoyed the, the, the art of that side of sports. I don't know if it was Mike Richter growing up, speaking of the Rangers, I was a huge Mike Richter guy. So it might've just been like a monkey see monkey do thing, but yeah, lacrosse, there's always ways to contribute. And I think playing defense was fun. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't. I didn't never 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 looked at it like a kicker, but I guess it is a little bit. It's interesting. So <laughs> and, so I know, and I, and I guess it's not a great analogy. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's close. It's All close. right. So so this is something we never do. I'm going to do it right now. Mike O'Brien, unmute your mic. Okay. Yes. Mike O'Brien is going to ask if this story is true or not because he was telling us a story before the podcast started about something having to do with potentially you not having feeling in an extremity for a season. So Mike, go ahead. This is your moment, Mike. Ask the question. <laughs> yeah. I saw on a uh, Tumblr graphic, it said that you actually had no feeling in one of your arms throughout your entire career. So we're just wondering if there's any truth to that and what that story, what that story is. 
Yeah, I have um, I had extensive nerve damage in my shoulder in high school uh, for a hit. I forget when it was. It was really early in my high school career, freshman maybe, and I knocked all the nerves in my shoulder completely out of whack and it completely messed with my sensory nerves or whatever you want to call them. So yeah, that's, that's true. But it was like, you know, it's like, it sounds kind of wild, but it was always my normal. So I never really paid much attention to it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's true. The old brachial plexus injury. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, getting back to Chris's point about playing defense and, and, you know, you alluded to the zone defense and, and, you know, the, you know, the, the work, together you know how it differs from man defense and you have you know it's, it's really you're really relying you know on 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 understanding where your teammate is going to be also understanding that if you play the zone well number one that it's tough because not a lot of people play the zone so at least nowadays maybe back then I'm not sure but I know coach Reba says you know you get these man teams that are used to playing against man zone you know man defenses and they come in and it takes them a while sometimes. And I saw that, um, you know, I saw that when, when we went up to uh, Rochester to play RIT in, in the national championship year, you know, that the first half of that game, they, they were really struggling. Now, part of it was they blew us out the year before um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, they didn't have any trouble scoring, but I think they, it was part of it. Hey, we beat these guys last year. We're going to beat them this year. And then mm-hmm. part of it was just, I think a lack of preparation for the zone defense. So, I mean, going into games, did you guys have like a target number? Like if we can hold these guys to X goals, like, you know, was, 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 you know, was, was there a, a, a number or did you take pride in terms of goals allowed or what were the things that kind of motivated you guys defensively? Yeah, I think, I, I don't know if we had a target number. I always, my target number was zero to be quite honest <laughs> with you. So anytime we let in one or two, I would start going into screaming fits, uh, which I don't think any of my teammates probably enjoyed, but um. Yeah, no, the, the reason I liked that defense then and even now I think it's still relevant is it allows you to dictate to an offense what they're doing and not the other way around, whereas normally in any sport, a defense is trying to game for the offense they're going to play against. And the defense that, that we ran at West in my time, they're still running, is it, it forced the offense to figure out how to beat you. And I really loved that part of it because it it focused your preparation on just what you had to do. And there's always like the, you know, the Bill Belichick's of the world who are, you know, do your job. Well, that's really true in a zone defense and it forces the offense to, to try to figure out how to, how to beat you instead of you trying to game, how to hold the offense at bay. So I always liked that it put us into an attacking mentality, uh, mentality on defense and which is fairly rare. And a lot of people would always people that's not a thing you should say a lot of people name the people um a lot of the <laughs> detractors of a zone defense they say i'm using my wesleyan education still um a lot of the detractors of of a zone would say oh it's it's limiting and if you're a good defenseman your field constricted by it i always i always looked at it as the opposite you have a unit behind you that you could take a lot of chances and risks in and i don't think that's true in some man defense concepts because you're you really are on an island and if you screw up then kind of the defense is rotating and you're sunk. So I looked at the zone as an opportunity and I definitely played a little bit recklessly as a result, you know, trying to go for a takeaway or go for an interception or go for a double team because you knew there was a guy kind of attached to a string. So if you went somewhere, a guy was following you. So you always had backup. And I, I found that I found it oddly freeing. And I know that's kind of counterintuitive to a lot of the, the detracting of a zone defense or whatever. But for me, it was always, it put me into an attacking mentality and it allowed me to take more risks on the lacrosse field. And I think we got more possessions out of it. So I, I love the defense. And it's funny that you say about that RIT. We, um, 
we played them my freshman year in our first round NCAA game. And we were in a hotel room um, reading the local newspaper in Rochester was talking about the game. And someone was like, Oh, they haven't seen shooters like ours. Like we're not worried about playing the zone. So I think to your point, Mike, there is a bit of a hubris in playing a zone. Oh yeah. We got a bunch of shooters. We don't have to practice too hard. They'll just like have to get out of it when we rock their boat. And sometimes that happens, but in, you know, RIT, when we were there 2006, we were up six, nothing before they called the timeout, like, you, you know, the, the Oh crap timeout in basketball. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I, I thought the defense put us in an attacking mentality. I think they still do it. And they won a national championship playing it two years ago. So they can't be doing too, too many things wrong with that defense. I tell you that. It's Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score, as always, joined by the coach, Mike Whalen, and the producer, Mike O'Brien, our guest tonight, class of 2009, former Wesleyan lacrosse star, former national uh, lacrosse defenseman of the year, Terrence Spike Malangone is with us. Uh, so, Spike, you know, as we wrap up your, your playing career at Wesleyan, um, I have one question for you, and I, I, I ask this of all lacrosse people because I'm, a, I'm an all-around sports guy who's covered lacrosse, you know, I, I've called some lacrosse games. I never played lacrosse. It's probably pretty evident by the way that I call lacrosse games. Um, <laughs> I try my hardest, but you know, that it's a sport I never played. Um, I call it like hockey and I try to not use too much jargon, but my point is if I was a lacrosse coach, <laughs> what I would do is I would recruit 11 faceoff guys, 11. Mm. And, mm. and, and I'm kidding obviously, but my point is it's the only sport where literally you can have the ball the entire game. If you have, the best face-off guy. So if you were a coach, how important is the face-off guy in lacrosse? I guess I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to dumb it down, but I mean, it just seems like I'll see games where it's like 10, 11 in a row. It's just out of control. Yeah. It's definitely, um, it's a little bit like make it, take it when you're playing pickup basketball, right? Like you could just never get the ball right. back. So I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's a huge, this is a huge part of the game. I know they're trying to legislate some of the, some of that out of it just to make it a little bit, more equitable in terms of the possessions, but yeah, it's a huge in hockey, 60%, 62%. Yeah. No lacrosse, you could be 90% and the other team could be down 10, nothing before they get the ball. So it's a, it's a huge part of the game and that I would emphasize that part of it. And also the wing play is huge because, you know, if there's going to be a scrum, you just got to get guys that can get the ball up and out. So it's a lot like hockey in that regard, you know, 50, 50 ball, you got to get it. So as, as important as the faceoff guy is, if he's winning to himself, that's one thing, but, um, your wing play has to be really, really good too to try to combat that, especially if a team has a dominant guy. So yeah, it's definitely, but to your, to your point, it's a huge, huge part of the game. And it's definitely something I think that has gotten more specialized even since I played. So um, yeah, you, you definitely need a really good one. That's for sure. Maybe even two. So I, I know I was telling coach, you know, when we were talking about this interview, um, you know, I knew some of the things that you had done just from, from following you, on Twitter at, at Spike Mal, um, you know, if you, if you need some pump. I need, I need that, I need that coach and Chris bump. Everyone yeah, go out the there. That's <laughs> the Chris and coach bump, first of all. Uh, okay, 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 okay. I, I was going in order of the Zoom, right? <laughs> no, 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 I kid. Call it whatever you want. Um, <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, um, you know, I was looking in and I, and I saw some of, some of your credentials and I, and I was digging a little deeper and I realized you've done so many things in not a long period of time. So kind of take us through, you know, you leave Wesleyan and, and, and you started off right away and, and you jumped into a job with the NFL league office. Take us from there and kind of take us through your career, you know, up to where you are right now. Yeah, sure. I think it's helpful for a lot of people to hear. I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do kind of at school. I was, 
uh, you know, American government major at Wesleyan. Um, I could write papers really well. I figured I'll go to law school or do whatever, but I wasn't certain what my career path was going to be. Um, and I knew I liked sports and I knew I could write and I knew I kind of had a head for kind of like the people skills aspect of things. I knew I couldn't do business so that I, you know, just went to no math for me, unfortunately. So all my friends that were doing business and econ and those things, I just couldn't do, which in the lacrosse world is like 80% of the guys. So I felt a little lost there. So um, I just tried to marry my passions and things I'm good at and see where that would lead me. And at my time at Wesleyan, this was, the internet was a thing obviously, but it wasn't as useful as it is now. So Field Yates actually, and I went to the Career Resource Center when we were juniors and we're looking through yellow books, like, you know, like the yellow pages, these massive books of what you should do with your life kind of thing. And we both love sports. So I started applying to internships blindly, um, was lucky enough to get an interview at the NFL, which I don't know to this day how that happened. It's kind of lucked out there. Um, got an interview, did an, well enough on it that I did an internship. And then that led to a job after school in the media relations department for four years. And it was awesome. Uh, you know, I was on a football information team. So our job was essentially to help the media in their coverage of the league and got to work Super Bowls and drafts and all that stuff. And it was fantastic. But I kind of realized it was a little bit limiting in terms of what I wanted to do. I had kind of a knack and a passion for entertainment and writing and comedy and these kinds of this world where, which is the opposite of a PR world. I don't know if you guys are aware. It's like, it'd be like, it'd be like the SID of your school being like, I really want to tell jokes and everyone would be like, shut up and write down the numbers, man. Like, <laughs> so I, I realized I was like, all right, this, this, this might not be for me in the long term. So uh, after four years, I, I, I kind of, I literally Googled one day, like, how do you be a writer on SNL? Um, you know, that didn't obviously pan out, but uh, I started taking comedy classes at UCB in New York and doing things like that just to get myself out of my comfort zone. I think that goes back to the sports mentality. I just kind of needed a, I needed a challenge and I needed something that I wanted to, you know, be even better at. So I started doing that stuff and I took a job uh, during that time at uh, Chris Mead and Matt Wheeler from Wesleyan, shout out 05 uh, at their company called sports recruits, which I know many an alum alum have, uh, have gone through there and I helped them kind of do their content marketing operation using a lot of the skills I had at the NFL and kind of getting their marketing efforts and content efforts off the ground back in, you know, 2013, 2014. So that's what I was doing for two years. And then still kind of wanted to keep turning that gear. I kind of had that thing in my head where I wanted to do entertainment. I want to do sports and I want to kind of marry these things and use some of the contacts I had built up at the league in my time there and ended up working at the NFL networks, good morning football, their morning show. Uh, I'm not a morning person. So it was a challenge for me to work at that, uh, at that job. It was awesome. I still friendly with everyone that works there. And I loved my time there, but the three 30 AM wake up call when like my best hours are like 10 to 1 AM in terms of brain power. So it was, uh, it was definitely a challenge. Um, but I loved that job and, and, uh, ended up following a producer from there to the current role I have at uh, cadence 13, which is the division of intercom. It's a podcast company. And we kind of focus on higher end, um, podcasts and shows. We kind of liken ourselves to like the HBO of podcasting where the shows that we do, we want them to be kind of unique and really kind of high quality. So that's what I've been doing the last few years, but, the reason I highlight all that in specific detail, in addition to boring all of you, was to say to anybody listening that's trying to figure out what they're doing with their life that you don't have to have it figured out when you're 21 or 22, you know, follow your passions and take your jobs as they come, but don't necessarily feel that you 
need to know what you're doing when you're, you know, sophomore or junior in college, because it'll come and your skills will all kind of add up eventually. So that's the Cliff's Notes version of the last decade of my existence. So, you know, for, for people who don't know, you know, your podcast company, you guys have amazing content. Um, I appreciate that. Well, no, and honestly, and, and I wasn't, you know, there's so many podcasts out there. It's like, it's like figuring out what your streaming service is going to be. There's just a million ways <laughs> to go, right? Yeah, we're, we're almost yeah. at, we're almost at, we've almost come full circle on streaming where we're going to need a cable service to bundle all of the, right, right, exactly. So we've gone, like, we've gone fully through the looking glass there. You know, I just discovered <laughs> yeah. Peacock. There's all sorts of cool stuff on there. Who knew, you sure. know, straight up, like, you know, the first one I listened to was gangster capitalism. So my question for you is gangster capitalism. For those who don't know, you need to check it out um, is all about the college admission scandal that took place with a bunch of uh, highly uh, uh, famous celebrities that were basically paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for their kids to get their SATs taken and to uh, get their kids into schools. So you guys got all of this. What I want to know is where did you get the information from? Like, where did you get all of the interviews and all of the content um, that, that that was present? Because, I mean, it seemed like you guys, like, I, obviously Singer wasn't giving you all that. So where did you get it all from? And, and how did you get access to all that stuff? And it, it was really fascinating. I encourage everyone to check it out. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, it was a really fun show to work on. I think um, – let's see. We, we, did, we did all the interviews ourselves. Uh, so we just would reach out to the – various folks that have been working on stories, whether they'd be writing for, you know, the New York times or wall street journal or, or whomever. And then we're reaching out and doing our kind of due diligence in terms of research on people that have been affected and kind of trying to look at that scandal from a, a much deeper layer than the kind of headliney. Oh yeah. It's Aunt Becky or it's, um, right. you know, other, other celebrities. We tried to take it, it in a bit of a deeper way and see what kind of, what kind of light can we shine on the system where, you know, some folks are operating kind of by a different set of rules. So we did a lot of that kind of grunt work ourselves and credit to Andrew Jenks, the host and Zach Levitt, who came in to direct and lead our division there. He has directed 30 for thirties and, you know, it's kind of a real a plus team that was working on this show. So it was a lot of late nights and early mornings, but it was, it was worth it. And then, yeah, in terms of the, we actually kind of came up with this idea to, the transcripts were readily available from the FBI. So Rick Singer, who was the mastermind behind this. Um, you had someone voice that over, right? Yeah, he was he was wiretapped. So these things were all readily available and kind of affidavits. And so we tried to figure out how best to bring that to an audio medium. And we decided to kind of voice those over. Uh, so we had actors voice over all of the um, of the parts in that affidavit to kind of bring it to life and, and kind of let people hear what was actually going on instead of just having someone kind of read it. So that was our, our big, uh, our big IP, which turned out really well, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was awesome. And, you know, I appreciate it. Well, well, what I took from it though, was you have no idea what people are capable of. I mean, you, you think, you know what people are capable of, but then when you hear it first hand, you think, and wouldn't it make more sense to just donate $500,000 or a million dollars to a school? But then you hear, well, a million dollars only gets you so far. Yep. And the thought of all that and the level of, of how entitled some of these people are, um, it was pretty next level. So I guess for you, coming from a sports background and then going into, you know, going into this uh, documentary deep dive kind of style, you know, uh, mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, what were what are your responsibilities for a show like that? I mean, they list all the producers. I know you're one of the producers. I know we have, yeah. but what, what is your daily you know, responsibility checklist? 
Mike, you want to take this one? <laughs> um, now, yeah, uh, honestly, for a show like that, the the documentary style shows are very heavy lifts, and um, your my responsibilities were varied from day to day, from coordinating the schedules in the studio to make sure you have studio time to kind of arranging the interviews to recording the interviews to editing them down to kind of getting transcripts of them for for us to use and kind of edit off of and then a lot of just coordination and research it's you know production is not it sounds like a fun job but when you actually break it down you're just producing work <laughs> it's literally all you're doing so uh you're it's a lot of it was a lot of uh a lot of man hours spent on those documentary projects but again it's a lot like a team sport right it's everyone's got a role and there's not really a, an unimportant role. You know, you could be hitting the button in the studio. You could be putting the finishing touches on the mastering of it in, in pro tools or Adobe audition or whatever you're using, but everyone has a role in that project in that world. And that's kind of what I've learned about production in the last couple of years that I find really useful coming from kind of a background in sports and, and at West is everything is kind of a part of a team and you got to be able to pull your weight and own your corner, but you're, part of a larger apparatus. I, I find that very helpful in the stuff I'm working on now. And then Spike, you know, um, you know, just in terms of, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, earlier. Um, but, but, you know, I think, you know, we always, you know, in a lot of our podcasts, we talk about, you know, the value quote unquote value of the liberal arts education, you know, and, and people are, you know, questioning, you know, $75,000 a year and, you know, what are you going to do with a liberal arts degree and those kinds of things. And, you know, through the course of this show, we've talked to so many different people that have had just, you know, incredible paths and they all come back and talk about the skills that they learned at Wesleyan, you know, that, that they, they now apply in their professional life today. So what are some of those skills for you that, that, that you think you've, you acquired at, you know, at, in the liberal arts environment that, that you've implement, that you implement, you know, on a daily basis? Sure. Yeah. I think, one of them was just time management. And that sounds really cliche to say, but you have to be able to manage yourself. And at Wesleyan, they, they kind of just throw you into the pool and you're responsible for figuring stuff out. Like what classes do I want to take? And they have advisors and there's help for you, but it's a lot of it is very self-motivated. And that's true of a, you know, the D3 NESCAC lacrosse experience too, is you have to want it and you have to kind of figure out how to get it. And that skill was honed from the time you enter Wesleyan to the time you leave. And especially in today's kind of world where everything feels like it's a little bit of a startup and everyone's taking on a million projects, there's not really a rule book for a lot of it. And the liberal arts education, at least to me, a lot of it was the freedom that it provided, but also the, it instilled in you a value of, all right, how don't find a, don't identify a problem, find a solution, right? Like, so at Wesleyan, it's like, all right, I didn't get into this class. Well, what can I do? I can go there and ask the professor if I get into the class, I can do X, Y, or Z. So I, I find the time management and kind of the the self-motivating factor of a liberal arts education really valuable. And then also I majored in, you know, American government, but I ended up like a couple of credits short of art history minor. And I found an entire passion that I didn't know I ever had taking architecture classes at Wesleyan. And I still have architecture books and I read architecture magazines and that would never have happened at a school where I would be shuffled through a major that, you know, it was interesting and I'm sure it's a valuable education, but for me, the ability to kind of see what else is out there and kind of become a more well-rounded person has paid so many dividends through all the jobs I've had because 
you're dealing with a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different interests. And at Wesley and I at least had an experience in most of those things to at least talk about them somewhat intelligently or to kind of follow a passion I didn't know I had. And architecture was certainly it for me. I kind of, going back, I would have taken a few more classes and had a, had a minor in it. And that's never something I would have known. I liked growing up playing sports and going through school and focusing on lacrosse a lot. I found a passion that I didn't know I had. And that kind of value, I think, is really, really intrinsic in a, in a liberal arts education. And I find that really, really helpful even today. So Spike, you know, you're doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but you've talked about, I mean, you're obviously a funny guy. You're a clever guy. So keep going, keep going. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know, uh, many skills, um, you know, great, great follow on Twitter. Once again, it's Spike Mel. Um, but, but more importantly, my question for you is, do you see yourself trying to transfer your skills into more talent based or do you want to stay behind the scenes? So obviously you took comedy uh, classes. You're trying. You're, I you're, did. You're, I've had many, uh, many a stage performances in the bowels of bars and things in New York city, which has been super fun. Yeah. I, I kind of like the world I'm in now, to be honest, I'm not, I wouldn't say no to something in front of uh, in front of a micro camera, but honestly, to me, I love the kind of problem solving behind the scenes of something and, and really being able to kind of sink your teeth into it and not have to worry about anything other than, than the job. But yeah, it's something I could see myself doing in the future for sure. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't turn it off to that. All right. So last, last thing I got to ask you about this and, and I have to bring it up. It's, it's a requirement. Talk about Zach to the future. Oh man. I, I thought that was going to be bad. I was like, did my mom email you? My age say by the bell. You know, you're yeah. not, not going to miss out on that. I, if I didn't ask yeah. you in the future, I'd be, I'd be losing right now. No, I'm glad you did. It's one of my favorite shows to work on. It's uh, Zach to the Future is a Saved by the Bell podcast where Mark Paul Gosler, who played Zach Morris, is watching the show for the first time uh, alongside his co-host, Dashiell Driscoll, who uh, is a writer on the reboot and is also the creator of the internet sensation uh, Zach Morris's Trash, which if you haven't watched those, look them up on YouTube. He goes through the episodes and kind of talks about how Zach Morris was a monster. Uh, so they're doing the show together which is a great, uh, a great premise in and of itself. And yeah, every week Mark Paul watches the show and he's never seen them before. He has vague memories of some of this stuff. So we kind of go through the show and he talks about some, some things that the fans would be interested in, whether it be where the set design was or how they would shoot certain scenes and, and give some really good behind the scenes answers. And then we have a lot of, uh, a lot of guests on that um, kind of help add some, some background and some color to all the episodes. So it's been a, it's been a great, great show to work on. And uh, I would urge all of you Save the bell fans, pop culture fans to download Zach, the future, give it, give it that Chris and coach bump. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we'll do our best. We'll do our best. Mike. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, one of the questions we always like to ask our guests is, is um, if you could either provide advice for current student athletes or, if you were going to envision giving advice to yourself back when you were a junior or senior, you know, coming out of West, like what, what would be some of that advice that you would give? Um, that's a good question. I was ready for that one too. Cause I have listened to the show before. Uh, <laughs> I think part of it was what I was saying before is uh, um, take a breath. You don't need to know what you're going to do with the rest of your life when you're 19 years old. I know a lot of, 
peer pressure comes into play when your buddy has a banking internship because his dad knows a guy who knows a guy and, and that's awesome for anyone in that world and, and pursue those things if you have them, but also just take a deep breath and know that the thing that you're doing when you're 20, 21 out of school might not be the thing you're doing when you're 31 and that's okay. Um, and then the other thing I would do, which I think I've done a good job of in my kind of career is treat everyone the same, you know, and it sounds a little bit simple, but the mailroom person is just as important as the host of the show, who is just as important as the intern, who is just as important as anyone else. And not only I think is it the right thing to do, but you'd be surprised at how much you can help yourself by really treating everyone with respect and whether it be, oh, we got to work late on a project and we got to get this thing printed. Oh, they'll stay open for you because you went down and got them a coffee one day or, um, you know, someone will be a little bit nicer to you on a deadline because they know you're working your butt off and you're emailing them at one in the morning to make sure that they're okay from the long day they had that you knew about. So I would definitely say altruistically, it's the right thing to do, but also you never know who can help you in the future (laughs) selfishly. So treat everyone the same because they work just as hard as anyone else. And I think the respect factor is really important. Um, Especially today when we all get caught up in the stuff we're doing, it's very easy to, kind of not understand where people are coming from. So just having some empathy for someone and understanding the road that they've traveled just to get to the office or something like that is can end up paying dividends later on. So those are the two things I would tell young me, but mainly the, uh, that first part is to take a deep breath. It's you're going to figure out your passions one way or the other. So, you know, work hard and do your best, but don't, don't be so nervous that you don't have it all figured out when you're 21. And then, and then the other question I have is just, you know, has, has the, I would imagine, and I, I don't know this, just I'm asking the question is, is the, you know, what's been the impact of COVID on podcasts? I mean, it, it has to be a positive, right? Yeah, we were very nervous at, at the outset because we thought, you know, commuting times going down and when are people listening to a podcast, you know, they're on the subway or they're in a car or, or wherever, but it's actually been, it's been really good for podcasts. And the thing we were, the other thing we we're very nervous about is, okay, we can't go into the studio and record, but kind of the proliferation of all of these, you know, Zooms or other programs that we use and kind of mobile recording kits has actually allowed us to be more agile. And we thought it might be the reverse at first where we were very worried about getting guests into studios or getting hosts into studios to do voiceovers and things. And we've actually found it to be the opposite where we've been much more nimble and able to have a conversation with someone over the internet and use the tools as best we can to make it sound good, but everything's not going to sound like, you know, the best thing ever. And that's okay. And that was something we all adjusted to right away. And now the technology is kind of caught up. So it's allowed us to be more agile. So if anything, it's made me work more because as we all know now, there's no such thing as a work day. <laughs> so you're recording <laughs> at all hours of the night, as you guys know, as we do this at uh, on a Monday night. So I think it's it's definitely not had as bad of an effect, I think, as it could have been. And that's, you know, thankfully, it's a good thing because this thing has affected so many people in the worst way. So we're, uh, we're thankful for that selfishly. And hopefully we're back to normal soon so we can watch more Wesleyan webcasts. I don't know. My Saturdays in the spring have been desolate. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and do you see... Going forward, you know, post after COVID, just is is it is it going to be kind of a hybrid? You know, maybe some of the stuff that you did during COVID and combined with some of the stuff you did prior to COVID. I mean, what do you what do you think you, the takeaways are going to be? Yeah, I think I think that would be my guess. As it turns into a bit of a hybrid model, I think studio in person stuff is really valuable, and 
you lose a little bit just not being with someone and catching their body language and kind of going through the whole routine of being in a studio and kind of putting your mind in a different place. Um, so I think it'll be a hybrid, but I think there's a lot of lessons to be taken from being understanding about timing and, okay, we're going to do this one over zoom and we're going to make it sound good. And it's fine. Like we don't need to be in the studio right now on a Saturday afternoon. We'll record, but we'll do it remotely. So um, I think, I think it'll turn into a bit of a hybrid model. And I think that's true kind of across industries is everyone's kind of gotten used to this work from home thing. So I think people miss the office, but I don't think it'll ever go back to where it was, at least initially. I think everyone will kind of adjusted to this hybrid role, which I think is good because it gives people a little bit more freedom, but I certainly miss going to a studio and at the very least not uh, doing everything from a studio apartment in Manhattan because my girlfriend's a, a TV reporter and she has her own TV show. So when she's recording, I can't, be saying anything and when i'm recording she's quietly watching tv so it's been a it's been a it's been quite the case study that we could write a whole movie about the uh living in a studio apartment during a pandemic it's been, it's been quite it's been quite interesting oh uh, yeah that's the next project for when i have I some free time can't wait to can't wait to see that one that'll be great oh it'll it'll be it'll be something it'll be something i don't know anything about that um so what what i would say um is uh no, i'm kidding um so every at the end of every show you know this because you're 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 big into the podcast one fan. we discussed it you know we do the gauntlet so before we get into the gauntlet though i've got a pre-gauntlet for you and i'm happy you brought it up um because now that i have clearance because you mentioned your girlfriend that means i can i can dig a little i can dig a little deeper here so I'm giving, you pre, I'm giving you a pre-gauntlet okay one of these is a loaded question better junior hockey team usa or canada Better junior hockey team, as I look at Julia right now. Uh, this year, it's clearly the United States of America who won the World Juniors. We had a nice time watching that in the apartment. I was quietly celebrating because Julie is from Toronto and did not take that loss as well as one would think. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, was it was definitely a fun Monday night watching that game. Question, question number two. Is Putin, this, is still, this, is, this is still pre-gauntlet. Yeah. This is pre-gauntlet, yep. Is, okay, Putin, okay. is Putin the greatest food known to mankind? Uh, I believe the answer is yes to that. I, I'm a big poutine guy. I was before, and I am even more so now. Okay, now here's the big one. Better goalie, Richter or Lundqvist? Better goalie. Oh, man. That's like asking a parent to pick between their children. Um, I I would say Lundqvist was the better goalie, but um, Richter was more inspiring for me personally. <laughs> is that a weird thing? <laughs> maybe, maybe just because I was younger, but um, you know, I mean, Richter won the cup. Obviously, you can't take a team award and make it onto the person. So I, I love Hank. I hope he's okay. I hope that he is getting better from his heart surgery. And I am sad to this day that we never got him the cup he deserved because if he was on a team with a few more goal scorers in those uh, early 2010s, I think he probably could have had a couple of cups. So. God bless Hank. God bless Mike Richter. Stop making me choose between them. Let's move on to the <laughs> oh, She's ready for it. He's ready. I'll tell you, he, he just handled those three questions off the cuff Whew, pretty well. I did it. Pretty well. I did it. I did pretty it. well. There, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of background going into those questions. Oh, I know. A lot I know. Of research going into that. that. That was easy. That was easy. Okay, coach, you can kick it off. All right. So, you know, we start off with the softball. So, favorite professor at West. Favorite professor at West is uh, Joseph Siri, who taught all the architecture classes I took. I loved him. Loved him to death. Nice. Who was the most influential person in your life? Most influential person? Oh, man. 
can I say Henrik Lundqvist or Mike Richter? Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, <laughs> uh, honestly, probably my mom. You know, we had I five siblings, and she did an admirable job raising us, and uh, she handled a lot of adversity in her life like a champion. So she she she'd be the answer. Right. Uh, you already you already answered this one. You know, your first job after West was NFL. Was was there uh, was there any uh, summer jobs during your during your uh, your college career that uh, were unique or something you want to share with us? Uh, oh, there were plenty of summer jobs. Um, nothing unique. I worked mostly in a in a warehouse in a sporting goods store, kind of unloading trucks and working kind of manual labor in the heat of the summer. So nothing nothing particularly noteworthy, other than to say, you know make sure you are aware of how hard everyone in an operation is working. It would be the biggest takeaway I had from doing those jobs. I, I had a, I had a similar job working. My dad worked in a manufacturing company and one summer I went and joined him right prior to going to, to Wesleyan. And, uh, mm. you know, I, I, you know, you have no clue what your parents do every day, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, you know, I walked out of there so motivated to go to college. Like I was like, yep. yeah, I'm not going back there. Like that's not that's exactly not for me. Being in the uh, the middle of an eighteen wheeler unloading uh, basketball boxes, you, I lost a lot of water weight, which was good. But yeah, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely a motivating experience at the yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you have to cheer for one, would it be Amherst or Williams? Oh God, Tufts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would say like Tufts. I can't cheer for either of those schools. I just no, no way. Good answer. Good answer. No I way. like it. I like it. No way. All right. When you were five years old, what'd you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> Goalie for the New York Rangers. We're getting a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a professional athlete of some sort. Goalie for the Rangers, or you know, the Knicks point guard, or the quarterback at Notre Dame, or something, something sports related for sure. Okay. Well, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received at any point in your life? Uh, best piece of advice: don't identify a problem, find a solution. So it was my first boss at the NFL when I was an intern, a guy named Joe Brown, who's a legend in the NFL PR community who's since retired, I think. Um, but we had like a lunch with like the bosses as kind of our last, last hurrah of the internship, uh, my junior year of school. And he, he said, never be the guy that brings up a problem, be the guy that brings up a problem and has a couple of solutions ready. And those might not be the solutions that you use, but it shows that you're kind of thinking proactively about stuff. So I've always tried to use that in my professional career. Great answer. In I appreciate words, that. In three words, describe your West experience. Uh, three words describe my West experience. Um, oh man, fun, uh, hard, hard work. That's a hyphenated word, so that's going to count as one. Um, fun, hard work, and relationships is the last one. I think I, my best friends in the world to this day are from from West, and I truly value that experience more than almost anything in my life for sure other than your friends what do you miss most about wesleyan oh man uh <laughs> sleeping late um <laughs> no uh honestly I, I i miss being and i've kind of hit on it a little bit in the entertainment world but i miss being part of a a community some of the best things i did at wesleyan ended up being getting just cultured in different worldviews and taking classes that I didn't think I should be taking or learning from people that were very different than me. Cause I grew up and went to Catholic schools my whole life on Long Island. There's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of diversity of opinion or thought or anything there. So I really just miss being a part of a community that makes you challenge your own beliefs and really makes you think about your place in the larger scheme of things. That's probably the 
the thing I miss the most about it. What's the best Wesleyan highlight from the last 20 years? Oh man, the 2018 national championship, man. That was, that was like a, a reunion at that, at Gillette stadium. We, a lot of the classes were represented going back to, you know, the nineties and we all did a big tailgate in the parking lot and lost my voice screaming, which was fun to explain to people on at work on a Monday. Like how old are you 30? And it's like, I don't worry about it. It was a really big deal. Um, <laughs> so definitely that, but that weekend uh, just culminating, it felt like a, we all felt like we won the title, even though I hadn't played in 11 years or whatever it was. So um, definitely that, that championship just felt like we all had a little bit of a hand in it and credit to those guys for taking the, taking the torch, the final, uh, final run that we couldn't get. It was, it was amazing. I couldn't have been happier for coach Parker and coach Reba and everybody it was great. And, and the best part was we, 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 we must've had five, at least five times more fans than they did. I mean, Oh, it was easy. We it crushed was loud. It. It, was, it was a sea of red. It was a sea it was, of red. It was that awesome. was that was truly one of the better life experiences I've ever had. It was just pure joy and adrenaline, and everyone was on the same page. And you're hugging complete strangers. And the, <laughs> you know, in the this was obviously in the before time, um, but it was just a man that we still talk about that 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 day up there. It was just fantastic, and we couldn't have been happier for the guys that that weren't. And here's the last one. Other than coach and field, who is the West alum you would most like to have dinner with? Oh, geez, man. That's a tough one. Uh, there's like a hundred of them. Uh, <sighs> probably Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, you know, just there's so many in the entertainment world that I probably could have said. Um, but he just being able to create something out of nothing like, like he did was, I would just would love to see how his mind works, you know? Coach, I mean, was that an, was that an unacceptable answer? I, I didn't love no, your reaction. It was totally to that, acceptable. Kurt. It was totally acceptable. It, you know, <laughs> Lin-Manuel is dominating right now. It's, it's not your fault. It's, it's Hamilton. No. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with Hamilton. Ah, there's uh, it's just so catchy. You can't stop singing it. You know, it's just, yeah, it's the world too. I I'm trying to think of another one now. There's there's so many in that in that space. Um I don't know. Ma- Matthew Weiner, I believe is a grad. He wrote did yeah. Mad Men. Yeah. I I'd take I'd take that. Any anyone in that world in the entertainment movie making world is someone I want to have dinner with. I just want to pick their brains and see how they handle day-to-day tasks creating something that we're all going to like or hate. I find that the whole process just fascinating. One of one of the guys behind the scenes too is, uh, you know, he's worked a lot with Lin Manuel Miranda. Is Tommy Kale. He's another one. Yeah. Uh, yep. He's, he's he's done some great things. He's done some great things. Uh, uh, he's Tons I've, of stuff. I've, I've met him a couple times and really really mm-hmm. been impressed by him. So some some great alums out there, no question about it. Tons, tons, and tons of alums. Great. Well, you survived the gauntlet. There, is there a, there there is no post gauntlet right there was a pre that was there's, the regular there, there's uh, no there's, post. One, there's, there's there's one post gauntlet oh, but, but I, I, to be fair i brought this on myself that's my fault it is my fault completely it, okay here it is ready <laughs> better better fox soccer channel studio host max Ooh. bretos or do i have to fill in the rest of this question I mean, the answer is Julie Stewart Binks. She's the okay. Best you passed of the, all time. You passed the of all time. 
Yeah. She's, she's, she's looking at me right now. She doesn't know what the question was, but she's happy that I said Julie. So that's, uh, I'm going to go. <laughs> Final answer, Regis. Great answer. Great answer. You're a, you're, you're a smart man. You're a smart Thank man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You live no in question. one room. You've, I've learned a lot. I've learned no a lot, question. Of, uh, a lot I, of life I, skills here. I still wait. I can't wait for that movie. I want to watch that movie. So get, get working oh, on that. Get I, we just that. have to we just have to start rolling i think we'd be fine yeah. if we just uh rolled out the videotape but yeah it's uh yeah. she's she's great max is max is great too but julie is definitely the answer that's great spike. listen spike first and <laughs> foremost we appreciate you joining us we know it's a busy time for you but man it's been awesome um we're glad you can I be a part of this we're, you're gonna you're gonna see the you're gonna see the boost you're gonna see the bump it's a real thing i'm excited um, for the bump and uh, it was an honor to be here. It was a lot of fun. Um, I genuinely love talking about the West days and, and truly I'm not, I'm all jokes aside. I love what you guys are doing with the show and obviously, however I can help editing wise or just setting up some stuff, let me know, but it's, it's great to hear from kind of alums. And I think it's a real great resource um, for, you know, the younger guys trying to figure out what they're going to do, younger gals figuring what they're going to do, but also just for alums to kind of catch up and see what other, what other folks are doing. It's been a, it's been a great ride so far and I'm, I'm excited to see where this show goes, but it's, it's been a true honor to be here. So I appreciate you having me. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with one thing. And, uh, and that is, uh, you know, I, I, you know, understandably, as you can imagine, you know, I get a lot of the, a lot of the coaches coming in and say, Hey, who, who are the upcoming guests? You know? Sure. Who, you know? Sure. And when I told them you were coming on, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not blowing smoke here. I am not blowing okay. smoke. Okay. 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 I had three or four coaches outside, outside of lacrosse that said, he's one of my favorite co- kids that I didn't coach. Wow. So, very high props to you, coach Riley. Men's basketball. Love Coach, love Coach Riley. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Coach Potter, another one. You know, Coach Potter as well. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I, I thought that was really interesting because you know sometimes sometimes they'll say, oh, you know, I remember so and so as a player or you know that kind of thing. But they sure. were just talking about the way you carried yourself. Your, you know, the way you, you know, you just were kind of a natural leader and 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 just how much they enjoyed watching you watching you compete and and yeah. So that's, that's a that, that's high praise. High praise. That's. That is high praise and hello to those, to those coaches and congrats on their respective success, which I've obviously followed along. I, I truly mean it. We watch webcasts all the time and we, there's a lot of chat groups going on. So uh, yeah, I, that's, that's really nice to hear. And I tried my best to, again, you, whoever's in the hallway, say hello. You can learn something from them. And at the very least you said hi to someone, so it can't go wrong. Uh, but I appreciate that. Well, we appreciate you, man. Thank you for spending time with us tonight. As always, uh, for the producer, Mike O'Brien, for the coach, Mike Whalen, I'm Chris Grace. Our guest tonight, class of 2009, Wesleyan lacrosse standout, current producer. Don't forget to check them out. They've got all sorts of cool podcasts. They've got podcasts with Kevin Durant. They've got podcasts if you're into fish and you just don't like to shower and you like to ride in a van all day long. They've got podcasts talking about people corrupting the system. they got everything. So make sure you check out everything they're doing. Um, and it's called Cadence 13, correct? 13. Cadence 13, you got it. You nailed it. 13. All right. Perfect. He is Terrence professionally, but we know him <laughs> as Mike Malin Gone, class of 2009. Thank you for being our guest tonight. You've been listening to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. Until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>